Greetings, my sisters in Christ. It is wonderful to be with you this way. Although I am deeply missing seeing each of you on Thursday mornings, and particularly if you were dropping your kiddos off in the nursery hall, oh, I am missing them. Cannot wait till I get to see them again and see how big they have gotten and how much they've, they've grown in the last year. The theme of this week's study uh, is embracing confidence in Christ. So I started doing some thinking back to a time where I had a lot of confidence in something. Uh, it was just before I turned 30. And one of a kind of bucket list before I turned 30 item was to complete a marathon. I had done several 5Ks. Um, I had done several 10Ks, but I, I wanted to run a marathon before I turned 30. My sister, my younger sister, Allie, is an avid runner. Um, and so she volunteered to, as a birthday gift, she said, I will we'll go to a marathon together. I'll help train you. It'll be great. So we picked the Nike Women's Marathon that was um, going to be held in San Francisco, California. Um, we picked it because it was a women's marathon and also probably in part because the finishing medal was actually a necklace from Tiffany and Company. And um, in fact, at the finish line, there would be men in tuxedos waiting for you with silver tray of Tiffany's trademark little blue boxes with the white ribbon. So um, Allie set up my uh, my training schedule for me. Um, she would send it to me each week telling me how long to run, um, what days to run, some recovery exercises, and I did it. Um, the runs got longer and longer as I got further into my training, and so I got experienced at placing um, energy gel, this stuff called goo at different places and extra water where I might need it along my route. I would have to plan out my route ahead of time. Um, I did skip some runs here and there because of circumstances. And, and the longest run that I ever did was 23 miles. But Allie assured me that um, that my body would carry me to the full 26.2 miles of the marathon. So we, I train, the day comes, we fly out to California, um, start the race, the, the morning of the race, and it's, you know, starts out in the downtown area, and then we start heading towards the Golden Great Bridge. And as we, we're heading, it's beautiful, we're on the water, um, and we head toward, you can see Golden Gate Bridge ahead of us, and then we take a left, and we encounter the steepest hill I have ever seen in my entire life outside of a mountain. And I, this is where I should probably mention where I trained. At the time, I was living in Abilene, Texas, which is West Texas, which, my friends, is very, very flat. And for some reason, it just had not occurred to me or Allie that I needed to be part of my training should have included some hill practice. So I'm facing this hill and I, I did my best. And this was early in the race. I still had a lot of energy, but at some point Allie ended up, and I'm not exaggerating, Allie ended up literally 
pushing me up the hill. That was the only way I made it up that hill was my sister was behind me with her hand on my back, (laughs) pushing me up the hill. Um, So we made it up the hill. I actually hit a wall at 21 miles, which is, I think, which is pretty normal for first time marathoners to hit a wall at some point. Um, Allie kept trying to encourage me to keep going. We got into a fight from about mile 21 to 23 um, when she finally just resigned herself to the fact that I just wanted to finish. That was my only goal at that point. So I did. I finished. Um, And it was a pretty uh, it was a pretty great moment. So I had put my confidence in my training, but it couldn't cover me through some of the circumstances of the race. In light of that, let's read the passage um, for this week, uh, Philippians 3, 1 through 9. And I'm going to take liberties the same way that Anne did a couple weeks ago. I'm going to include verse 10 um, in my talk for this week. So hear the word of the Lord. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness of faith that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Um, Paul starts by acknowledging that he is repeating himself for the purpose of it being a safeguard for the people of Philippi. He issues a warning about the dogs, the evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. The the study work for this week does an excellent job of delving into that warning. So I'm not going to flesh that out right now. Yes, pun totally intended. And then in verse three, he says, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. I was intrigued by that phrase, for it is we who are the circumcision. In his writings, Paul deals with the issue of circumcision again and again. 
The physical act of circumcision was the sign of God's covenant with Abraham and the promise to all who would come after. But it has become a source of pride and division now between the Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. In Romans 2, verses 28 and 29, Paul will talk about circumcision in a physical and spiritual sense. Uh, He says, a person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. In Old Testament, scripture scripture already warned uh, against God's people being uncircumcised in heart. It urged them to circumcise their hearts, as in Deuteronomy 10. Uh, Here's verses 12 through 16. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him? to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore. And do not be stiff-necked any longer. The instruction to circumcise their hearts is meant as an inward response to knowing that God had set his love and affection on them. He had chosen them. It was the internal equivalent of the outward covenantal commitment to the Lord, one that could be observed by God, not other humans. Paul takes that a step farther here in Philippians 3, when he says, we are the circumcision. Who is the we? How do we know? Paul describes them as those who serve God in spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh. He says in Romans 2.29 that someone with a circumcised heart, their praise is not from other people, but from God. We, you and I, are now the sign of God's covenantal love. And now enters our humanness. Oh, if I'm the sign, I need to do all the things. I'm an Enneagram too. Um, if you are, if you know anything about the Enneagram, um, the two is a helper. I love to help. I love to do all the things, to care for others, to nurture others. And that in and of itself is good, but I tend to do that at the neglect of caring for myself, and I get caught up in pride. My feelings are way too easily hurt if my efforts aren't recognized. Just ask my husband. He will tell you that. So I can appreciate what Paul does next. It's the ultimate one-up. He lists all the things, all the things that make him qualified. It's as if he's saying, oh, you want to go? Let's go. 
and he lists off all his stellar qualifications. And then he wipes them all out. He considers them garbage, rubbish, dung, because they pale in the light of knowing Jesus, of being found in him, not in works or doing. They pale in the light of being known and loved by Jesus, not the world, not by my husband or others. And that kind of knowing Jesus and being known by him leads to desiring what Paul says in verse 10. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. It leads to being like him, to know both the power of his resurrection and all that comes with it. And it leads to participating in his sufferings. This has been a year of suffering for sure. Suffering on a global scale in the form of the COVID pandemic. Suffering of black indigenous people of color at the hands of systemic racism. Suffering in the political arena and the divisiveness that has ensued. Suffering on the most personal level, lack of community, mourning the death of loved ones, isolation from friends and family, a loss of sense of purpose. And yet, can we hold the tension of acknowledging the ache and pain of the suffering and Let it teach us how to know Jesus better. Can we hold the tension of mourning with others and for ourselves and looking for the blessings of this season? It's hard and it's always nuanced and it will likely require us to say, I don't know how to fix this, but I will simply be here with you. I think in holding the tension, we will find ourselves being shaped into the people that Paul describes. I think in holding the tension of suffering and blessing, it will equip us to be people who serve God in spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in our own strength, whose praise is not from other people, but God. Alan has asked us at several different staff meetings in the past year, what are the gifts you are seeing in this time of being apart? It's a loaded question, isn't it? Sometimes I have been able to give an answer. I can see how the past year has made space for Jason and I to focus on our marriage. I can see how it has bonded our family together in a new way. I can see how it has made our son and daughter each other's best friend. And sometimes Alan asks the question, and I discreetly roll my eyes and think, you have got to be kidding me. And I know that God understands that part of me, too. In the study work this week, the authors note that rejoicing is an obedient act of will. Sometimes obedience is done with clenched teeth, and sometimes it's done joyfully with open arms. Rejoicing might be the same way for you right now. My hope for you this week, as you read and work through the study, as you hold the tension 
of suffering and rejoicing is that you will be surprised by God's unending, tender love and joy for you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the deep, never-ending, never-giving-up love that you have for us. Thank you that you have rescued us from our sin, not by anything that we did to deserve it, Lord. It was your grace and mercy. I pray that uh, we would rest this week in that love, that it will be what spurs us on to rejoice in you, to thank you for our blessings. I pray that love is what would empower us to sit with others in their suffering. I pray that it would give us strength to sit with our own suffering, to feel all of it, to move through it in greater trust and confidence in you. Thank you for your tenderness to us. Thank you that you love us as your precious daughters. Be with uh, the women this week as they are in your word and in the, the study work, Lord. I pray that these scriptures would speak to their heart in new ways. It's in your name we pray. Amen.